This is Truth Jihad Radio, and I'm Kevin Barrett, bringing you all of the taboo, heretical perspectives that they don't even want you to know exist. If you like this kind of radio, please support it. Go to truthjihad.com and click on the subscribe at Substack button. The key thing is, don't be inhaling, don't be ingesting. Stay inside, don't drink or eat anything. These are important questions. I understand that. Highest moment the last eight years. Hmm. Highest moment the last eight years. Well, I think the, the most important, the most compelling was, uh, was 9-11 itself. Welcome to the special live edition of Truth Jihad Radio. I'm Kevin Barrett, waging the all-out struggle for truth here on the Internet Airwaves since 2006, currently ensconced in Revolution Radio's studio. Well, it's really my home studio here in the woods of western Wisconsin. Revolution.radio is the ultimate in free speech radio. We're probably going to be the last free speech network standing the way things are going. We have a great show coming up tonight. Second hour, Angela Stanton King is a former congressional candidate in Georgia, a best-selling author, president of the King Foundation, and an activist against medical apartheid. So that should be an interesting show there. First hour, bringing on uh, somebody who has influenced me quite a bit, Andre Martianov. He's one of our great strategic thinkers, somebody who, like uh, Dmitry Orlov, is predicting American collapse from a very well-informed uh, standpoint. And his wisdom should have been paid attention to uh, a while back by U.S. elites. If it had been, maybe we wouldn't be in this mess that we're in right now over in Ukraine. Uh, heck, if we'd listened to Putin, we wouldn't be in the mess either. But anyway, uh, I think we better bring him on and let him speak because uh, he's, he's quite brilliant. His book, Disintegration, Indicators of the Coming American Collapse, takes up where all Orlov left off. It's great stuff, highly recommended. So, hey, welcome, Andre. How are you? Uh, thank you for having me. Yes, I was very impressed by your book, and uh, I've been following your blog, and especially in the past few days. It's really interesting to compare a serious military strategic analyst like you with the fluff in the New York Times, Washington Post, CNN, and so on. Uh, what happened to the American media's ability to describe reality uh, as opposed to just wild emotional propaganda? Um, there are a number of factors um, which, uh, sorry for using that twice, the factor into all this, and I started describing them already in my first book in 2017, which was the uh, Losing Military Supremacy. It is the issue first of the uh, very narrow horizon of the strategic planning. It's usually the issue of the election cycle, which automatically limits the broader view of the outside world. And it's general ignorance of the American political class of the world outside. Uh, secondly, it's the failure of the uh, general failure of the part of the American education, which goes, it's not fully humanity, uh, humanities education, but it's uh, education which is related to the foreign policy and issues uh, adjacent to that. 
And it is extraordinarily bad. It's the level of the third world. And what you have for the last 25, 30 years uh, is basically the indoctrination schools. They are extremely incompetent, are not very well read, and definitely do not have the grasp of the cultures and uh, historical experiences outside those of the United States. And this plus other uh, subordinate factors, also important but not as important as these two, they play into all that. And result, we have add here this two-dimensional sensationalism, which is you have to sell. You know, you have to sell uh, copies of the newspapers. You have to sell. Uh, uh, advertisement so and you go for anything which sells and obviously the uh, uh, hatred fear itself it always did so there you go as the result we have the complete uh, I mean uh, narrative which is complete bananas basically and has zero uh, zero uh, relation to the reality Indeed. Yeah, it's, it's it's so strange to find the supposed marginalized conspiracy theorists actually paying attention to facts and the mainstream fact checkers uh, with all of their big budgets devoted to being able to supposedly uncover the truth, uh, pumping out fluff and stuff that doesn't require any factual uh, real world analysis or checking what's really going on at all. And especially in wartime, uh, I, I certainly wonder whether the U.S. military is is getting information that's even remotely as as bad as the public is getting. I would assume not. Um, what, what's your take in terms of the, the ability of the professionals in the U.S. military to do a better job at figuring out what's going on than the uh, humanities grads and the media do? Um not much better, honestly, all, albeit I have to stress this, and I've been stressing it uh, for the last several years, in fact, more than eight years now, uh, in a public space, that the actual last vestiges of actual competence today are with the U.S. military. The other institution, they do not have competence uh, and partially I want to return back a little bit to this humanities thing. People will misconstrue me inevitably that I'm somehow against humanities. I'm not, by no means. Uh, I do not uh, even see the uh, educated and well-versed person out there not having some degree in humanities, not being a good uh, uh, student of history, a good student of sociology and things of this nature. But what many people don't get, uh, modern world is has become so complex, both technologically and in social organization, that this uh, set of knowledge, which usually is, uh, is taught within the courses of so-called political pseudoscience, is simply not enough. You just don't have enough tools to really unlock this, especially in the world where uh, technologies are actual high-level technologies are stretching way beyond the uh, popular memes of like iPhone, you know, or Tesla cars, which are not really high technologies to start with, you know. And uh, that's what is happening. And, of course, the real uh, degree of um, competence still is being retained within the uh, U.S. military. But even there, considering the fact of the, uh, I mean, uh, crushing wokeness and purging of people who have their... Uh, uh, smart ideas and opinions, especially from the top brass, which is primarily staffed with the political generals who will, will say whatever you want them to say. Uh, 
So we have the situation, and uh, even Russian uh, intelligence professionals openly in uh, Russian media, in Russian press, they noted already that U.S. problems with intel is the fact that uh, American uh, strategic intelligence is extremely bad. The United States may have some degree of advanced uh, uh, developments in the signal intelligence, but in terms of human intelligence, there is even an anecdote. What is the CIA agent does when he or she comes to Moscow? They find the liberal opposition in Moscow and get the intelligence from them. Because the only reason they do that, because those guys, which are marginal, uh, you know, on the fringes of Russian political uh, life, will be telling them what they want to hear. So there is no critical understanding of the world. And even people who pretend that they are realists, what have you, like uh, PhD doctor uh, uh, Daniel Larison, who, who you cannot really accuse of being uh, pro-Russian sympathizer or pro-Chinese sympathizer, he admits that U.S. elites and U.S. Uh, uh, people do not know the world outside. They really don't. They don't even try to understand it. Yes, I noticed that uh, when I was doing my Fulbright work in Morocco, the ambassador didn't speak any Arabic. And I'm not even sure if if uh, he or she spoke French. I don't recall. But uh, I've, I've seen that situation. I think I noticed that there are a lot of cases like that, which is really kind of an insult to the country involved. And the U.S. pretends to be the world leader. And it's it is the de facto uh, seat of a modern empire. But uh, it's it's very strange that it doesn't seem to take its uh, empire seriously enough to bother learning the local languages and genuinely studying what's going on in these places. As you said, uh, we just want to be told what we want to hear. And that you think that problem has gotten worse with uh, the Internet creating bubbles and echo chambers for people so they're not exposed to information from different perspectives or is is that uh that's probably affecting popular consciousness more than the uh, strategic planners and the elites well we also shouldn't forget the uh, american exceptionalism and uh also the fact that um a lot of people in the u.s elites top uh shelf elites, so to speak, like recall James Clapper, the guy who ran the uh, uh, National Security Agency, and he evidently was involved into lying and during this Russiagate uh, affair, the guy was open saying that Russians are genetically predispositioned to, you know, doing nasty things, you know. (laughs) <laughs> this is, and oh, hey, uh, I mean, uh, you guy, can say that about Americans, I suppose. Yeah, you know? <laughs> well, uh, the guy is uh, basically spewing the things which would fit him really well with Goebbels' propaganda, you know, and probably would qualify him for the level of Standardfuhrer SS, you know, but. Uh, there was no even reaction because there is a hidden uh, uh, racism. There is a hidden, uh, d- d- how to say it, you know, condescending at best attitude uh, and very racist attitude towards all those, you know, Slavic untermensch, you know, and it's there. It always was there. And uh, the light, latest events proved it, I mean, beyond the reasonable doubt. So, and yes, what, is the, what was the most fascinating about after Clapper's uh, uh, statement? No U.S. media even, le- uh, uh, you know, raised the question about it. You know, so it's like, yeah, it's normal. So Russians are, yeah, subhumans. So there right. you go. You know, you know, I, I wouldn't be that surprised to hear a Russian turn that back on Americans and say, uh, well, if we think about which 
people came to populate the Americas, uh, it was a, a fairly antisocial and barbaric breed that was happy to leave home in Europe and come and conquer and enslave and exterminate uh, Native Americans and take some land and rise up higher in the world by being rugged and in some cases ruthless. So you could make an argument that there might be a very slight uh, genetic factor there affecting Americans as well. But of course, people like James Clapper aren't making any kind of rational arguments. They're just viscerally expressing uh, racism and, and, and prejudice. Uh, Guy Matan's book on Russophobia is a, is a good source on where this anti-Russian prejudice comes from. And uh, people really ought to read that given what's going on in the media right now. Well, your, your prediction of U.S. collapse uh, is, is interesting in light of the debate between sort of the two schools of thought about where this uh, Russian incursion into Ukraine uh, is headed in terms of geopolitics. On the one hand, we have the mainstream media under control of the, uh, the masters of empire assuring us that Putin has bit off more than he can chew. It was reckless, et cetera. It's going to backfire. Oh, the Russians are in terrible trouble now. They're, they're being booted out of Europe and so on and so forth. Their economy will be strangled, this sort of thing. And then on the other side, you have uh, people noticing that, well, this actually is going to give a big impetus to the decoupling from the dollar. Uh, and Russia, China, Iran, and everybody wants to trade with them and a lot of other places may be moving into an alternative to the SWIFT system sooner rather than later because of this. And between that and, as you have written, the uh, deprivation of a huge market for the Europeans, which will totally crush their industry, and then, of course, the raw materials price, energy prices are going way up, too. So Europe will be totally screwed. The U.S. may be totally screwed when its dollar as de facto global reserve currency disappears. Uh, and so there's, frankly, that school of thought strikes me as a bit more sophisticated than the school of thought that says that Russia is doomed. Um, what do you think? Oh, first, Russia is not doomed, and believe me, I know. <laughs> so, and uh, and I was on the record for many years now, uh, and what was happening uh, with Russia in terms economically. Uh, we have to understand here very clearly that the main product the United States uh, ships outside and exports is inflation. It's not even Boeing aircraft or. Uh, cars, you know, the main uh, exports of the United States, which are still high value added and very sophisticated, you know, technologically products. No, it is basically inflation, which is done through the uh, reserve status of the dollar. Russia right now is completely decoupled from the dollar. It's over. And uh, you have to understand that China was looking at it uh, for for a while, and now then when they see the, the way, so to speak, as do other countries, the process is unstoppable now, not to speak of the fact that the main pillar of the dollar, so to speak, the main pillar on which the dollar's reserve currency status rested, which, of course, have been um, essentially established uh, after the World War II when the uh, United States was the only major economy which was, was not destroyed. 
uh, the conditions and circumstances for that are completely gone. We live in a new paradigm. And one of the main pillars was the primarily mythical. I mean, it was there, but it wasn't what it was portrayed to be, was the uh, fundamental driving force of the humanity for the last many, many millennia. It's the violence or organized violence, which today we know as the military power. In order to support something, in order to uh, show that you mean business, you have to prove their, you know, to create a record. But if you are 18-year-old kid, you know, who a jock from the high school, who constantly beats a five-year-old kids in their sandbox, you know, at some point of time, uh, you know, those successes will begin to play against you. You know, you need to prove something on the real scale. And uh, if, as we all know, that United States didn't win any war in a long time, to put it mildly, you know, so. And uh, the record is not there. And now that Russia is getting back to where it belongs, basically, and where it was for the many uh, hundreds of years, so it you have this uh, comparison issue. And, my God, it's uh, it compares not in favor of the United States. And I am on the record for a long time now also that the United States lost the arms race. And suddenly the, uh, this fundamental pillar on which the dollar rested, which was American military might, uh, very much uh, exaggerated, uh, suddenly it's not there anymore. It's still there partially, but it's not at what it used to be. It used to be you want to go off a dollar, you want to trade in a, some different way. Guess what? Uh, wait, the you know U.S. Navy is coming and you will be bombed into the outer submission. But it was good only for the uh, smaller countries like Libya, for example. Once Russia got itself into the uh, into Syria and showed that basically it's the buck stops here, well, then guess what? We have what we have today. And uh, as I already stated, the issue of the military technology, I cannot even uh, start to describe how wide the gap is right now and how it is continues to widen. I wrote, well, yeah, uh, let's talk about a couple of the highlights of that, because your first two books, uh, Losing Military Supremacy and, and The Real Revolution in Military Affairs, were about that. So where are some of these areas where, where the military balance of power has shifted? Uh, first, the uh, uh, United States always had the issue with the uh, cruise missiles. It, uh, the highlight of the uh, American uh, missile development was the uh, uh, Tomahawk uh, cruise missile, which came about in early 80s, which, by the way, uh, initially was conceived as the anti-shipping missile. It is a slow subsonic missile, which is morally obsolete right now, and uh, as they went in Syria, has shown, uh, you know, serious air defense intercepts those, you know, so... Uh, Russia offers today, including on the market, their uh, plethora, their uh, just the role of the at least of the uh, both uh, cruise missiles and anti-shipping cruise missiles of the immense variety. And most of them, with the exception of the now very famous 3M14 caliber missile, most of them, they not only outrange anything the United States has in, in its uh, arsenal, they are outspeeded in, by the orders of magnitudes now. So, and uh, in terms of hypersonic uh, uh, and missiles, 
Russia is not just generations, probably two generations ahead. And uh, United States never actually got to create even genuine supersonic anti-shipping missile. The only main missile which United States has at its disposal today is the good old Harpoon, which is subsonic 240 kilometer range missile. And that's pretty much it. There are some other variations of uh, other kinds of uh, subsonic missiles, but they are subsonic. United States never got beyond Mach 1 weaponry. So this is the uh, uh, field where United States is not even in competition. It's not even in contention, especially in terms of anti-shipping missile, which it uh, relates to the main uh, power tool of the United States, main power projection tool, which is U.S. Navy. So you cannot intercept something like Zircon, which is Mach 9 uh, missile. You just can't. And that's another stage. Uh, in terms of air defense, uh, it's uh, not even fair to compare. So, and uh, and again, United States lags here is behind that in probably by generation at least. And so if we begin to go through the this uh, high-end, high-tech uh, issues of the weapons and including the enablers, the system which run the networks, control communications, uh, uh, computer networks, and uh, reconnaissance and things like that. Russia has as good as the uh, uh, as good uh, um, space assets as the United States. Don't forget, Russia operates the only other real, fully global positional system, which is called GLONASS. You know, so and when you begin to look at it, it's just yes, there we go. You know, and. Uh, so the uh, arms race was pretty much lost, and uh, obviously the final, so to speak, straw and the shock to the system was when Turkey decided to buy uh, Russian-made S-400, and that was a slap, basically, and on the face of the uh, U.S. military-industrial complex. And so one of the results of this is that with these new uh, anti-ship missiles, it seems that Mackinder's thesis about the centrality of sea power may have to be revised. And the British Navy ruled the waves and the sun never set on the British Empire because there was no antidote to the British Navy. The Americans took up where the British left off and have tried to rule the planet through the oceans because the U.S. Uh, or North America, like uh, like Britain, is basically an island and the, the main mass of main, main land mass with the population and resources and productivity is Eurasia and uh, it's connected to Africa really too. So, so essentially we may see a geopolitical revolution here because the Navy uh, no longer can rule the waves with uh, these anti-ship missiles. And I understand that if, if a uh, serious war were to break out that the uh, most of the U.S. Navy, at least all of it in in the relevant theaters, would likely become sitting ducks. Well, uh, yeah, they are big fat targets, and Russia, uh, specifically the uh, commanding officer of the uh, latest Admiral Gashkov class frigate, which uh, carries of Zircon, Russia officially three days ago confirmed the actual range, combat range of the 3M22 Zircon. Uh, it's 1,500 kilometers. It is beyond the reach of the carrier battle group uh, uh, sensors and patrols, including the, uh, you know, the uh, um, aircraft, combat aircraft patrols. And uh, what are you going to do? How are you going to even intercept uh, 
the Mach 9 uh, maneuvering missile. What are you going to do with the salvo of those missiles when there's not one but ten of them flying to you? So, yeah, that's pretty much it. And th- there was a thin, so to speak, I mean, last straw uh, kind of uh, argument that, oh, yeah, they cannot get the proper uh, targeting at these ranges. No, no, they can, you know, and uh, Russia has been operating the uh, Liana, the what is uh, uh, space-based uh, targeting uh, system, uh, and both an active and uh, passive regimes. There are two different types of satellites. And uh, it's fully operational right now, and it provides the almost the real-time uh, targeting. And that's what you need. It's really not that uh, difficult to figure it out, because once you get the uh, current position or the relatively uh, obsolete position within, like, um, you know, 15, 20 minutes, uh, you can shoot at this uh, circle, basically, you know, and that's it. The missiles do it uh, themselves. They are fully should and forget artificial intellect elements used um, in their design. So, and yeah, that's what it is. And that changes their dynamics uh, and geopolitical reality completely. And do not forget, uh, China might be the next uh, big um, recipient of that type of the weaponry, apart from having already their own ballistic uh, missiles, which are capable of the anti, which have anti-shipping uh, functions. So where do you go with that? There's nothing which can stop it. And uh, even the United States themselves, you know, U.S. Navy also admits that, you know, however grudgingly, that uh, that's it. We are targets, big one, big ones. And uh, that changes the geopolitical dynamics. And it changes also the uh, issue of the choke points or, and shipping lanes or lanes of communications. So, and uh, there you go. And I suppose this is one of the reasons why the U.S. has been reluctant to go to war with Iran or to be pushed into war by the Israelis. I understand that one of the motivations of the 9-11 perpetrators was to encircle Iran by invading Iraq and Afghanistan and then ultimately uh, throttle Iran. And they allegedly got pretty close to going to war in 2007. And then again, again, of course, when uh, Trump murdered Soleimani. But in, in all these cases, the wiser heads in the U.S. seem to have prevailed. And one of their uh, reasons is that Iran has uh, very good positions for anti-ship missiles along their edge of the Persian Gulf, and the U.S. US Navy uh, would be sitting ducks. The Iranians are developing uh, newer and, and better missiles all the time as well. Do you, do you think that's a, a leading factor in preventing the U.S. from going to war with Iran? Yes, it's a decisive factor, in fact. And do not forget, after... Uh United States uh, uh, assassinated General Soleimani. Remember what happened. Uh, Iran actually responded with the ballistic missiles at the uh, U.S. Uh, and NATO, basically, uh, uh, bases in the region. And uh, as you remember, the targeting was pretty good. Let's put it this way. Mm-hmm. And the United States literally had nothing which could intercept those ballistic missiles, intermediate range and short range ballistic missiles, uh, which were launched. And we had like hundreds of GIs and, you know, uh, well, personnel basically sustaining uh, various types of the concussions, including severe ones. And they had to be airlifted to Kuwait. But uh, Iran has its own uh 
I mean, really ridiculous variety of the anti-shipping missiles. And uh, from what I know and I heard, I don't quote me on that, but I believe it's, it's been the fact. They have some uh, Yahant, which is the um, uh, import, uh, export version of the uh, Onyx, Russian supersonic Onyx uh, uh, missile, anti-shipping missile. It's Mach 2.5 missile, and uh, so it pretty much covers all Persian Gulf and any approaches to Iran. Plus, Iran is one uh, other country, for those who doesn't know, and people don't understand that sometimes, uh, which produces on its own, well, there are sort of kind of, you know, repos, but it's their own uh, long-range air defense complexes. Russia, United States, China, they produce long-range air defense complexes. And guess what? Uh, Iran produces them too. And that is really a kind of deterrent factor because uh, for any kind of the uh, aviation assault, you know, uh, air assault, especially what Israel really wants the United States to do, uh, there will be serious price to pay. So Iran is not your, uh, you know, the, uh, is not Iraq. Let, let's put it this way. It definitely not. Well, it, it does look like uh, the Ukraine situation is is not uh, tipping in the direction that the uh, the war party here in the West had hoped it would. You wrote in your most recent blog post, or at least the most recent one that I've seen, quote, the Ukraine is gone, Russia has won. So maybe you can elaborate on that and tell us how you think it's going to shape up in terms of what will the Ukraine be uh, divided uh, or how, how will the future look? Well, I didn't actually write that. That was the quote from Bernard from Moon of Alabama. But I concur. Uh, many people who didn't lose their brains, you know, uh, they concur, including the neocons. You know, and I'm talking about neocons, which are neocon neocons. You know, if you look at uh, the latest uh, in the, um, what's the name, Daily Mail by uh, American uh, uh, Bill Rojo, I believe, so even he had to admit that, and the uh, headline reads, Putin is not crazy and the Russian invasion is not failing. The West delusions about this war and its failure to understand the enemy will prevent it from saving Ukraine. And that's Bill Rojo. He is from the <coughs> Foundation for the Defense of Democracy. So, and this is like neocons, mm. neocons, think tank. Right, you know? right, right. That, that, that used to be a project for a new American century. Yeah, so, yeah, if this guy finally got around this and, uh, you know, there's still a lot of, uh, definitely, uh, idiocy which he writes there because he doesn't understand uh, actually how Russian military operates in sense, not tactical sense, but in doctrinal and in cultural sense, but at least they begin to understand that, hey. But uh, here's the problem. Uh, first, expert community in the West on Russia, and uh, Ukraine including, is bad. I mean, it's bad in every single respect. Just to give you another example, there is a guy, Sergei Sumelny. He's uh, probably from Ukraine, and he, guess what? He's yet another guy from uh, there are many of them in Washington, D.C. In fact, Washington, D.C. is saturated with them. And Ukraine is the larger, uh, and, uh, is the larger uh, lobbyist in foreign policy in the United States than even Saudi Arabia. And by like three times larger. Really? You know? I didn't know that. 
Oh yeah, you can read it, uh, uh, including on the Quincy Institute. So and uh, Andrew Vasevich's and uh, you know think tank, and you can read it there. The data is there. But here's what he, the guy writes, and the, his um, um, uh, biography reads like that. Berlin-based Eastern Europe expert, 10 plus years of work in Ukraine, Russia, Belarus, uh, Belarus, former director of something, blah, blah, in Kiev and thing. Here's his latest uh, uh, tweet today. Uh, I know it sounds contra, uh, contraintuitive, but it feels that Russia in its army are about to collapse. Russia obviously has no resource left. The tanks they send to the front are very old, without active armor, look like training machines. They do not have trucks using civilian ones. Well, that's, there you go. That's your American and Western intelligence. Okay. These are the people who provide data. And considering the utter incompetence and, uh, I mean, uh, of the U.S. mainstream media, uh, and, I mean, frankly, professional human material of American journalists is the, you know, uh, laughing stock of anybody who have any clue about anything. So it's like that's what they get, you know. But in reality, of course, the, I uh, posted the video yesterday, and I always try to stay kind in way of this uh, – tactical minutia, you know, of the event, because I can, but I have to uh, constantly say that we do not know all facts on the ground. We can only, you know, surmise. We can only, you know, infer something. But truth is, uh, uh, operation develops very well. The uh, uh, WSU, which is Ukrainian military, is basically, uh, it stopped being the organized uh armed force uh, in the first 48 hours. It it got its four uh, C4 ISR complex, which is uh, command control computer communications and intelligence surveillance and reconnaissance basically wiped out by Russia. <coughs> of course, they rely to a large degree on the American uh, intel and even targeting sometimes. But basically, it's have been denied any kind of uh, maneuver because they cannot maneuver by force at all, because the moment they get out in the field or on the road, they are completely done and annihilated. And what they have is now that that's pretty much repetition of Operation Bagration, 1944, you know, when Russia and Soviet Union, Red Army, basically wiped out the uh, uh, Wehrmacht's uh, army group center, uh, basically in the matter of two weeks. And that's what happened now, and we have those festungs, as Hitler demanded the Germans to do, you know, the Wehrmacht commanders to do, is the uh, the only chance for them to prolong their agony is to get into the cities, try to uh, embroil Russians into the urban combat, and Russians will do that, make no mistake, it will happen, you know. But what they use now, are the, they use the civilian population, like in the city of Mariupol, as their human shield. And West doesn't want to hear it, doesn't want to see it. And, you know, basically, West supported neo-Nazis. I mean, that's it. I mean, and that is why Russia has no, um, how to put it, uh, reservations about shutting door for the West anymore, because there's nobody to talk to. And... Um, you know, uh, their historical experiences with war and especially with Nazism uh, are very different for the uh, for the West and for Russians. So but uh, militarily wise operation proceeds not only it's, it's good. 
you know, it's, it's well, it, it rolls just fine. When you have even new concept meaning that actually it's going pretty well, you know, so then that tells you something, you know. Right. And, and so where, where is it headed? What, uh, you know, what's the end game for Russia in terms of trying to establish a new kind of permanent reality on the ground in Ukraine? Um, yeah, I need to speculate here, but my, uh, something tells me that what's going to happen is Russia probably, which is happening right now as I speak to you, uh, especially with Kherson taken and, uh, now, um, Nikolaev being next and Odessa. So Russia will basically create this, um, uh, land arch or arc stretching from the uh, Transnistria through the uh, shores of the Black Sea and uh, which will be united, obviously, which is already basically united. It's already linked to the uh, uh, Lugansk and Donetsk uh, republics. And those will be uh, probably reconstituted as the some kind of the independent state. Obviously friendly to Russia and, you know, so, and uh, some people say there are already uh, declarations of the uh, incorporation of the new state being circulated somewhere in the, on the internet, uh, but we'll have to see. But Ukraine as such will be probably reduced to the Kiev and several uh, smaller districts around it. It will have obviously a regime change. And it will be just neutral, you know, Ukrainian state, and it will be free to do whatever it wants, you know. It's just not going to be in NATO. It's not going to have any uh, 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 serious military, and it's not going to be, uh, uh, it's not going to have any Nazi forces. They will be completely cleaned out. They will be mopped up. And uh, most of them will be concentrated towards the uh, uh, Western Ukraine, where where they originated from. But as we already know, the Hungarian army already has its most of its army, most of its troops deployed to the borders because there is a serious uh, political issue brewing in the Hungarian part of the Western Ukraine, and they want uh, uh, their recognition of their independence or up to their. Um, um, they already wrote their address, uh, I mean, uh, the letter to Viktor Orban, and essentially we can see that at some point of time the Western Ukraine will be also torn apart and some parts will go to uh, Hungary, Bukovina, Romanians obviously have an eye on it. So, yeah, that's what is going to happen. And does NATO have any military options? Uh, currently they're making a big show of supposedly arming Ukraine by way of Poland and so on. And it seems kind of dangerous given that Poland is in NATO. And if Poland is arming anti-Russian forces in Ukraine, that makes Poland a belligerent. And uh, that obviously has some dangerous uh, potential. Uh, so what, what, what do you think NATO can or will contemplate uh, doing to respond to this? Uh, nothing. Uh, they will continue to ship w- while they can, uh, their, uh, whatever their light weapons they have. And uh, there is a lot of talk about those javelins, by the way. A couple of uh, Russian tanks d- did hit, uh, did get hit by javelins in the field. None of them has been, uh, uh, exploded or broken. And they continued their, uh, pretty much fighting. 
One of the tanks, which was hit by the javelins, the crew received minor concussion. And after that, they just continued to with the task. So it's uh, it's a lot of exaggeration, a lot of fluffy rhetoric, a lot of, uh, uh, you know, mythology about American weapons and this and that. The only danger is uh, are basically stingers, which can uh, get into the hands, uh, those stingers which will work and which are not, you know, uh, or any kind of man pad. They, uh, I know Germany was shipping the old Soviet Strela man pads, you know, to... Most of them do not work because they simply expired in 2012. But who knows? There will be some radical who will get uh, his or her hands on the working uh, uh, man pad, and that is the danger for the civilian air traffic. You know, granted, somebody is going to be flying anytime soon around this area. But that's about it. They can send mercenaries, uh, but military and NATO cannot do anything. I mean, it, first, it doesn't have any forces. So it's all about now saving the face because obviously uh, the bottom line, it's not Russian war against Ukraine. It's Russian war against NATO. And uh, NATO doesn't look that good, let me put it this way, in the last couple of years, to put it mildly. It is militarily incompetent and doesn't have forces. And, uh, yeah, certainly not fighting the peer-to-peer or, uh, you know, war with Russia, despite the fact that on the paper, uh, obviously, uh, NATO uh, boasts bigger armies and bigger navies, but it's paper only. So this war could be setting the stage for the kind of collapse or disintegration that you suggest is coming in your new book. And, uh, you know, I've been thinking for quite some time, ever since I got into the 9-11 truth field in 2004, that very likely the only way that I would be successful in that endeavor was if uh, some combination of economic collapse and or military defeat here in the U.S. led to uh, severe regime change, and in particular, a uh, dethroning of the neocons. Now it seems like that might be a a reality in the not too distant future, which makes me think, you know, be careful what you wish for. You just might get it. Um, so can you envision this uh, de-dollarization, um, the uh, economic hardships of Europe that will be coming as they cut off their nose to spite their own face uh, in, in lashing out self-defeatingly at Russia, that this whole situation is setting the stage for a radical change in perception of U.S. military power uh, combined with de-dollarization that could precipitate this kind of disintegration of the USA that you're right about? Um, yeah, th- there's such scenario is by no means impossible. How probable it is, uh, like literal physical disintegration of the United States, um, I think that what United States is fighting right now, and there should be some people who who didn't lose their head completely out there. However, you know, we can only hope. But the point is, uh, United States is fighting now for Europe. And the only reason it fights for Europe is not because for some, you know, uh, fake values of democracy and freedom, and which is euphemism for basically 1984 or well in reality. No, the only reason is because, the, because Europe is America's lunch. It is the last chance to prolong the agony because once the, uh, Europe is cut off the Russian market and especially Russian energy, which is being implemented. And fact is, Russians do not complain, actually. 
uh, and uh, you can see immediately on the uh, suicidal energy policy of Germany what's going to happen. Uh, Germany stops being a uh, competitor, industrial competitor to the United States on a number of uh, issues. Because uh, obviously Germany has the highest, one of the highest in the world and highest in Europe uh, energy costs. And as a result, everything Germany produces is extremely energy inefficient. And it's enough to raise the price of energy to where it is today. And the collapse of German industry begins. As one number of members of Bundestag recently spoke openly, and they spoke on Russian TV too. They said, if the Nord Stream is done, it's over for the Germany's chemical industry. If the Germany's chemical industry is done, Germany industry as a whole is dead. Well, guess what? It did happen. <laughs> so, but that also relates to pretty much any European country. And now that we know that uh, uh, France has huge issues with its nuclear power station, some of them just completely, you know, they have rusting pipes in their reactors, you know, so it, you have to think, yeah, that's pretty much it, I guess. You know, so United States will be able, at least for a while, exploit it. Uh, but, of course, many people uh, who are called economists in the United States, they're not really economists. They are financiers. They do not understand how economy works, really. But, yeah, for a while, I don't know, maybe two, three years, United States will be able to feed its uh, uh, LNG, liquefied natural gas, which... Most of it will be from Russia anyway. The United States will be buying it on spot and then reselling it for. And uh, until it squeezes or just basically uh, breaks the neck of the German uh, industry. And that gives a chance for the United States to uh, provide Europe with whatever the United States still produces. And, hey, that could be even the chance for Boeing, you know, to compete with Airbus. That's... Uh, pretty much the plan. So it might work, but in the long run, it doesn't solve U.S. problem because the United States is uh, financially, it's a ruin. And it was deindustrialized on such a level that even that, even getting Europe as the market doesn't help. It's going to be the issue of the diminishing return immediately. So, and that's why uh, the... Uh, what we're seeing, seeing today in terms of uh, energy prices, in terms of in terms of wheat prices, in terms of aluminum prices, in terms of titanium prices and everything. Uh, so it's already affecting the United States. And we are already having inflation, which is much higher than what they uh, tell us. And once the, do the dollarization happens, which is already in the progress, uh, yeah, we might see the hyperinflation type numbers which is not going to be good, to put it mildly. Well, Dmitry Orlov's predictions of collapse rested partly on his assumptions about peak oil, and, and he assumed that high energy prices would be driving economic and social collapse due to scarcity of oil. And it seems like there's artificial scarcity right now, um, maybe more so than natural scarcity. So yeah, you have a yeah there's no peak oil. Yeah, there's no peak oil. We do have enough. We do have enough oils uh, all around the world. 
And whatever the this peak oil thing is almost like the artificial uh, anthropogenic uh, uh, climate change. I, I I love what Dmitry does. I mean, he is a brilliant mind, and uh, I read him with joy. And you know, he's very sharp man. But peak oil is the same myth as the uh, uh, anthropogenic climate change. So it's we have enough resources for for a while. It's the fact that the uh, peak oil could be even some kind of the green agenda, uh, you know, another, uh, uh, you know, uh, operation of influence, if you wish. So, and I write about this actually in my last book. So, no, there is an oil, there, uh, and scarcity right now, it's sort of indeed artificial, it's superficial, if you wish, you know. So, but the point is that what everybody was trying to warn uh, the United States and the Western world. You know, if Russia says no and Russians are beginning to say, hey, we can close, you know, the uh, pipes, you know, uh, on our side, no problem. And, yeah, you want to play politics, let's play politics. They don't understand that uh, economy, uh, the monetary expression of economy means absolutely nothing. It's like uh, United States uh, GDP of 23 trillion, really. The real uh, America's economy, the size of it, and especially, is dwarfed by China. And I mean dwarfed. It's not like smaller. It's dwarfed. It's not even, uh, you know, fair to compare. So, and many people don't understand. I uh, uh, give those numbers in my last book that, yeah, they don't understand that, for example, Russia produces the same amount of steel as the United States. And the United States has more than two twice the population of Russia. And this is just one thing, you know, and if you look at the energy production, everything, uh, uh, Russia is there, you know, next to the United States. And many people don't grasp it, you know, but yeah, sure, United States 23 trillion, yeah, because they inflate assets and the house, which was yesterday 100,000, today it's $300,000, you know, oh yeah, there we go. Here's our GDP. It grew, you know, three times, but in reality, it's shrinking. Yeah, that's that exporting of inflation that you mentioned. Yeah. Well, so it seems that the COVID hysteria, uh, which at some level uh, seems to be tied to the uh, the the sense of this this green agenda. You know, there was a lot of celebrating uh, the shutting down of a lot of the economy and the lower energy use uh, in a certain kind of element when COVID yeah. broke out. So that hysteria now seems to have ended precisely as the uh, Russophobic hysteria has broken out and it's it's odd how how the same tone uh, of the mainstream discourse that was so hysterical about covid is now exactly the same kind of tone of hysteria but now it's about russia it's as if they somehow switched you know from covid to russia as as the uh the boogeyman uh, overnight so where what will happen next uh okay so when this fear of russia becomes uh, unsustainable what will the next hysteria be? What will the source of that be? I don't know. I really don't know. There are all kinds of... Well, they can always put Russians as Japanese during World War II, you know, here in the United States in the concentration camps, you know, so they can do it that, and, you know, Lindsey Graham... Well, if they already, do, they'll probably throw dissidents like me in there, too, so... so yeah, they'll throw us in the concentration camps. Uh, Lindsey Graham uh, already offered today to, you know, called on, you know, to... Kill Putin, you know, assassinate. Yeah, that, that was your statesmanlike, wasn't it? <laughs> uh, yeah. So yeah, it's like we know. I'm subhuman. I'm. I understand that, you know. So James Clapper certainly thinks that I'm subhuman. So probably they will throw us into there. But truth is, uh, 
uh, as uh, it, it is assigned to Marx, uh, you know, but uh, accredited to Marx, but about the history, you know, repeating itself first as tragedy, then as a farce. What we see today is a farce. American and Western elites, this whole Davos culture, this whole World Economic Forum culture, they are so incompetent. Those people are, this is not your Eisenhower generation, okay? Those guys may have been, you know, not necessarily always smartest, but they were, you know, people who could handle, you know, issues. These guys are not like that. The uh, maximum uh, difficulty in their life they uh, experienced was uh, deciding between what Ivy League school to attend, you know, and get some sort of degree in nothing, you know, like in political science or, you know, philosophy. So, and um, these are not the people which can solve anything, especially the systemic crisis and uh, especially with the financial sector, which basically killed as Michael Hudson says, you know, killed the host, killed the what used to be a gigantic and powerful American industrial economy. It's not there anymore. We have basically the generation of the office plankton and, uh, you know, social justice warriors, you know, who are really basically existing primarily in the virtual world of cancel culture, you know, those social networks and things of this nature. So... In this case, uh, I think so. It could be just simply dissipation, not necessarily collapse, but kind of, you know, uh, slow dissipation possible, you know. And um, if you look attentively, we do have two different American nations now, you know, albeit we have to uh, see uh, how the midterms will go. What kind of shellacking, if any, the Democratic Party will receive, you know, not that Republicans are much better, you know, but at least they do not want to sell you out up front, you know, for some uh, uh, radical ideas. And, yeah, the main issue, of course, are neocons, because this is the cabal which basically bankrupted the United States through the wars and through sheer military incompetence and there you go, you know, so. Yeah, they have a pernicious uh, psychopathic political philosophy, uh, and then you throw in the incompetence, and uh, it's a really, real lose-lose combination. Yeah, I looked at them. It's I wrote so much about it. It's just ridiculous. I mean, you have people who literally don't know, you know, uh, they just, most uh, things they write about war, is reasonable, basically. It is written by amateurs. It's what I call the military porn. They love to use their big words, operations, you know, the kind of domination. They don't even know what it is. They don't understand how the operations work, what goes behind it, what mathematics goes behind it. And, of course, none of them have the physics degrees or degrees in the weapons uh, integration, you know, my background, basically, you know. So to have the, any idea how this really works, you know, and that's what we have. You have Iraq, we have Afghanistan, you know, and all those wars which, you know, and mission accomplished type thing. You know, when you have the political scientists and lawyers running the country in the 21st century, this is what you get. No, nothing against, per se, against lawyers. You need lawyers, no doubt about it. But when there's, there are only lawyers in there, you know, guess what? That's what you get. Well, you know, I actually taught humanities for a while, and humanities, as I taught it, was a sort of a, a new interdisciplinary orientation that actually was aimed at solving some of the problems that you've described by bringing, let's say, science into 
the yeah. world of people who study uh, history and philosophy. So but that kind of humanities was actually, I think, a, a really good thing. Uh, it did force us to study math and science as well as music yeah. and art and history. Um, but today it's mostly social justice warriors and uh, and people of that ilk, it seems. Uh, there's been a, a major downgrade, I think, uh, since uh, my generation. Yes. Even, yes. And my it's generation wasn't the greatest. Yeah, it's yeah. indoctrination. Inevitably, it was built around the ideologists, all kinds of them. And there you go. And there you go. Well, here here we are at a crazy moment in history, and I appreciate getting a chance to talk to you, Andrei Martianov, I think one of the best uh, thinkers and writers out there. Uh, so thanks so much for coming on, uh, especially at this uh, amazing time. Uh, keep up the great work. God bless, and look forward to talking again. Uh-huh. Thank you. Take care. Mm-hmm. Bye. Bye-bye. That's Andrei Martianov, Kevin Barrett here, back in the next hour with Angela Stanton King, um, talking about medical apartheid. Stick with us.